do ask you to write your own eulogy. And and it's a really both powerful, but also quite morbid activity to do. Like, you know, what would you have in your gravestone? What would you have uh, as your eulogy? Because when you think about the end of your life, which most of us don't want to do, it will reflect on how you currently live your life. Are you living the life now that will ultimately end with that kind of eulogy? Because it gets us to think about it in a very different way. Welcome to the Mindful Paths podcast with Nick Day and Harry Kalimnios, where we explore the fascinating worlds of mindset, mindfulness, fitness, well-being, vitality, leadership and personal development. Our goal is to provide you with the insights to help you live a more fulfilling, happier and healthier life. If you're striving to be a better parent, friend, leader, colleague or boss, or if you simply want to be more mindful and aware of the world around you, then this Mindful Paths podcast is for you. We invite you all to eavesdrop on our conversations and we challenge you to discover a new insight to help you on your own journey towards personal growth and positive change. So sit back, relax, and let's begin our journey together on the Mindful Paths podcast. Harry, I'm sorry, sir, for keeping you waiting. Uh, We're a little bit behind the time, guys. If you're listening to this, Harry's been patiently uh, waiting for me to join the video. I did turn the video on and he knew I was here, but I was on another call and he's been sat here in silence waiting for me to finish. So how are you so, doing, buddy? You good? I'm all right. I'm, all right. I'm just taking my jump off because it's so hot in here now. I've, uh, the temperature dropped loads earlier and I went out and I was on the bike because I had to go uh, out and it was such a great day, like blue sky, everything, which I love. Uh, but by the time I got home from being an hour, hour on the bike, my fingers, like, I could noticeably, like, kind of almost frostbitten. And so I would, like, stick the heating on. And that's this house, luckily, warms up quite nicely. So now I'm, like, literally back in my T-shirt again. I'm, like, toasty, toasty. So uh, so that's all good. Um, but I was going to say, you know, um, last time we spoke, you were about to go and uh, and do your parents' 50th wedding anniversary. So how did all that go? I was. You know what? It was... Um... The speech, I think, went really, really well. I'm really happy with the angle I took. It was interesting going into these things because I had no idea what my siblings were going to do. And all you know, all of us a bit nervous. We're going to talk about the same stuff. But actually, it worked and connected really, really well. Um, the nicest thing. So, yeah, the speech went really good. Happy with, with how it went. And, and I managed to hold it together, which is important. Right? There, was a mo- there was one moment where uh, the bottom lip may have wobbled slightly, but I held it together. Uh, to quote Blackadder, permission for bottom lips to wobble, sir. Uh, but I held it together, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, which was, a, I love that show. But yeah, it, it was good. And, um, you know, it was really nice to have all the family together. And what was really lovely, and look, I, don't, I have not experienced a situation before, really, where I'm sure other people listening to this have got parents or loved ones who have gone through the palliative care situation. But my dad hasn't been great. I mean, people know that if they listen to the show regularly. And he's been very weak and, and been really struggling. And we've seen that deteriorate. However, it's probably the best I've seen him for a long, long time. He had energy. He was, he got up, he was walking around, obviously with, with crutches. Um, he was able to stay up. I mean, he's been going to bed at sort of seven, seven thirty. He was up till eleven thirty. Wow. Um, it was amazing. I had the privilege of, of taking him home um in a cab while the party kept going. So he, so he went to the venue. He went to the venue. Yeah, sorry, because that was always we weren't sure that was gonna happen. He made yeah, it to the venue. I thought it was gonna be a video link. Well, that was always going to be an option too, but no, he's found, I think this is that social energy. I know you talk about a lot in your beat model, but you know what? People give you strength and having all the close family around, being relied upon, knowing people need you. I think I'm wondering now, so here's a question, and I don't know if people have been in the situation before, how much of the, his current situation is down to the cancer, right? The illness, and how much is down to depression in relation mm. to the fact that you're faced with the same four walls, sometimes you are just too weak. You you don't want to eat. You've lost your appetite. You've lost your ability to do certain things that you love. And also, you know that at some point, you know, death is a very real reality where it's m- people like myself. It's not something that comes into my mind every day that at some point I'm going to mm. die, right? So being faced that reality is obviously going to link to feelings of, you know, pity, depression, whatever word you want to put it. And I think having all the people around him, people that loved him, talking about great stories, great memories, it just lifted. It was, honestly, he was yeah. amazing, brilliant, I, loved every minute of it, fantastic I weekend. I think he really enjoyed himself. And um, there was a moment where I was in the kitchen with my mum and I said, you know what, mum, we've got dad back. Listen to him. I said, just listen, just stop for a minute, have a listen. And we listened. I was like, that's that's dad, you know, yeah. not talking about how he's feeling. Or not, I don't want to take that away. It sounds really callous no, to say no, it's not no. okay for him to talk about how he's feeling. But it, it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy that if you always remind yourself how bad you feel, you feel bad, right? So 
take just that distraction of not thinking about it for 10 minutes or half an hour, an hour where he's with loved ones and family talking about old stories and he had a little scotch together and things like that. It was great. Wonderful. Loved it. I mean, I think there's a lot to be said for what you said about, yeah, how much is the cancer or the illness and how much is the, you know, staring at the same four walls. And I was talking about my grand uh, and also my dad the other day with my mum and how when my grand went into hospital when she was um, 89 and, you know, she was able to generally walk, go to the toilet by herself, like a few days in hospital where they're doing everything for you. And suddenly she couldn't go to the bathroom by herself. And the same with my, my dad, like a few days in the hospital earlier in the year when he was there, suddenly he needed help with doing everything. And, and yeah. it's like the less you do, the less you do. And, um, and there's a lot to be said for, and, you know, I, I think with my dad, he was, I felt he was like, you know, suffering from, you know, some form of depression the last few months at least, because, you know, his two of his sisters had died in the last year. His brother-in-law uh, had died. And, you know, he was less able to do things he wanted to do. And yeah, I do think that he was also living basically with heart failure as well for the last couple of years from what I can tell, because his energy did drop about two years ago massively. Um, and so there's that, like, it's kind of like a spiral. It's a bit chicken and egg where you go, which came first, but they sort of, I don't know, some people, one comes first and others the other, but then they, they, they're kind of like doing a dance together and they're, they're both, they're both uh, intertwined. And and so I think there's just so much to be said for things like purpose, right? So purpose, you know, is another aspect of that beat model under the activity, right? Passion, service, purpose, and connection is PSPC is the way I normally describe it to people. Because yes, that social connection, but also having that purpose to, like we were talking about last time with your dad, right? He has this purpose of the, the party. And now you need to find the next goal, the next purpose for him for him to go for. Because there's a lot that goes into that. I mean, my, um, unfortunately, my brother-in-law, so my sister who lives in Brighton, so my brother-in-law last night has driven back down to Cornwall. So I'm not sure if I mentioned before, but his, I think I mentioned his mother has got like leukemia and she was only given a yeah, few months like three years ago. And things have taken a turn for the worse. And like, so he literally only got to her off about a week ago because he drove her down, down to Cornwall because she was up uh, for Christmas. Now it's had to go down. And so now my sister is by herself in the house looking after a three month old and a, a nine year old going on 16 year old because she's a bit of a teenage difficult child at the moment. <laughs> and, and, and then she has to come up by herself with the two kids, I guess, in a couple of days time because my dad's funeral's on Thursday. So she's coming up on Wednesday. We don't know if her husband's going to be back. She has to try and cook. So there's, yeah, a huge amount of, um, like crazy stuff going on. But what I was going to say is, so his mum was, you know, looking forward to meeting the baby, looking forward to seeing the house, looking forward to Christmas. And it's like, what's the next thing for her to look forward to? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not sure there was one. Um, and, and it's, you know, she's kind of taken a bit of a turn, which is not, not well, great. My, my, well, I'm building on that. I mean, my sister, fair play. Um, I got my sister, I think is just a, a wonderful human being anyway, but she, she went to my dad before we even knew the you know, how this was going to impact him with the event. So she was there 24 hours before I got there on the Friday. And she said, look, dad, I'm going to start coming around every single week. We're going to play where we play Scrabble. I'll take you to the garden center. We'll do you know, little things that you're able to do, but you need, she said, she identified it independently, but you need some, you need purpose. Mm. And he just went, yeah, I think I do. I think that's what it is. Um, but you know, it's, it's, I don't know what it's like to be faced with your own mortality, but no. I do know that depression is not going to help the situation. And I think no. it's very difficult. And, you know, it's like no good me saying to a depressed, someone who's suffering with genuine clinical depression, you know, feel more positive. That's not how it works, but it does link to mindset. It does link to, you know, yeah. uh, trying to take yourself out of the of the rabbit hole. Sometimes of the, the echo chamber of your own mind of going, I feel really bad. I feel really bad yeah. because there's lots of things that you can look forward to. And yeah. I think my dad this weekend was reminded of some brilliant stories and some brilliant people and and there's loads and loads to keep fighting for um, yeah. i mean there it's is encouraging for me because i was nervous so if you got to this date right big big seminal date in your life your 50 years you know wedding anniversary you go right I've, I've got there and i was a huge fear i said to lucy yesterday i have this feeling like um of, i don't know it's, it's in my gut you see you hit, hit, feel something in your body or you should listen mm. to it right couldn't identify. I said to Lucy, it's a bit like this. And I'll, I'll tell you the scenario I gave. I said, it's like, you know, you first meet a girl you really, really like, right? 
And at the end of the night, you see that girl with some other guy. And you think that you think you've been getting on. You think there's a chance you went up dating that girl. But at the end of the night, you leave or she leaves with that guy. But you don't know if she's gone back with that guy, if it was independent or not. And you had that gut in your feeling, in your gut of, oh, you know, has she, hasn't she? I don't know. I really like her, whatever. So I'm <laughs> probably a bad example, but it's the only one I can think of in the moment. With my dad, I think I've had that feeling where I've been preparing myself that when he got to that date, that might be what he's holding on for. Mm. So I'd almost prepared myself to go, what next? It could be the following day. It's a really awkward yeah. call. I don't want him to hear that because that'd be upsetting for him probably. Yeah. But that's what I've, yeah. without, you know, it's in my subconscious I've been preparing for. And now I've seen him in such a different light with that energy again, that vibrancy. But I went to bed yesterday feeling like there was no chance that was going to happen. Yeah. And yet I had, but I was prepared for it. So it was a weird, yeah, I don't weird. know how to describe the feeling, just a weird feeling going to bed and going, it's a really good feeling because I'm really encouraged now. This isn't what he's been holding on for. It's just part of his life to continue, but it could have been. Does that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it does. It's, yeah, and, and and the gut is the gut feelings are so powerful a lot of the time. We don't we don't listen to them. I was talking to my mum yesterday or today about the body, right? The body. There's a book. Called, I haven't actually read it, but it's called The Body Keeps the Score or something like that. Um, but the body is so intelligent. I was explaining to her, I think it was yesterday, I was saying like how we need to tune into that a little bit more because um, often it's telling us what we need to yeah. focus on, what we need to know. Like It's like when you're driving a car and the check engine check engine light comes on or check oil light and you ignore it, yeah, the, the body's going to break down. Um, and so we need to make sure that we like... Um, tune into our body a little bit more and explore these feelings. And like I always say, right, nothing means anything except for the meaning you give it. So then you could choose that this meaning of gut ambivalence that you've got means, okay, you know, there's, there is more to look forward to with him, right? Because there's going to have, you know, um, I don't know, he's feeling better. So obviously he's got it within him. I, I don't know. You decide what it means that, that kind of gut feeling that you were getting about, about, um, that his situation and stuff. Um, and I think, it's it's really interesting just how powerful the mind can be when it comes to healing and feeling good. Now, That's some great. of that is going to be the adrenaline and all that, and 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 that that gets people through. But there is a huge amount to be said for you know purpose and focus and love and connection. And we have this you know, energy within us, right? We're not isolated beings. We, we are constant. And I was talking to my mum today about Nikola Tesla. And you've heard of Nikola Tesla, right? But sure. most people I'm sure have. And she was like, oh, you mean the car? And I was like, well, he's actually like a really smart inventor. And he invented all these things. And yeah. um, the, the old joke is when Einstein was asked by reporters what it's like to be the most intelligent person in the world, he said, I don't know. Why don't you ask Nikola Tesla? Ask Nikola Tesla, yeah. Um, and, and one of the phrases, I think I've said it on the show before. I can't remember, but it's one I use all the time. It's my favorite quote of his. I think it's his. Um, if you want to understand the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. And I think about that all the time when I'm in, investigating issues and problems and you know even during covid and even for cancer and things like that i'm thinking everything's got a frequency everything's got a vibration so if there's a way to kind of match that vibration a bit like a tuning fork and a glass to resonate to like shatter it i'm sure there's a way that we can defeat cancer for example by using resonant frequencies and i'm sure i've looked it up and there are people doing things like that off mainstream but yeah i guess the point i'm trying to make is that we've all got an energy and a frequency so when we're in a room full of people that love us we create very coherent heart waves, right? These are measurable like waves. And that ultimately makes the person receiving that end in a coherent way and ha have their heart rhythms be in that coherent way, which ultimately leads to less stress and therefore more energy. So there's a lot of a physical manifestation of being around people you love that's going to make you feel energized, like your dad. He's got all that love and emotion in that room. It's it's not an imaginary thing. It's a physical yeah waves that are coming to build him up well yeah. interesting you mentioned some of those things completely unrelated but i think i told you i was reading this i'm reading uh i'm really enjoying it it's called the Kabbalion. i've got it here oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. hermetic philosophy the three initiates um it's all about the occult work of of you know it's influenced many philosophers and, and teachings and religions or so it's claimed since 
But interestingly, so this dates, this predates a lot of the religions we know now, right? So some of this stuff goes back to like 1200 you know, BC and whatever. So I, I don't know if that's correct, but that's what it says in here. Anyway, we don't know because the teachings and the writings have been passed down and changed and whatever, right? But a lot of people have heard of Hermes. So a lot of the writings from this relate to Hermetica, Hermetic teachings, Hermes. Um, you know, but anyway, I digress. The reason I say this, like, you mentioned three things there. Um, and remind me of the three again that you mentioned. One was vibrations. Oh, energy, frequency, and vibration. Energy, frequency, and vibrations. So in the Kabbalion, which was this, so this was written, particular thing here was written, I think, in 300 BC. And they said the Kabbalion is organized according to seven basic principles, which form the basis of occult philosophy, right? And this is you know, before modern science, right? Significantly before modern science. And they mm. said that the seven core things were mentalism, the all is mind, the universe is mental, correspondence, as above and so below, uh, vibration, that nothing rests, everything moves, everything vibrates. I mean, that alone, at the time yeah. that was written, I mean, because everything does, whether you're, you know, all mass is made of, you know, you know, you're yeah. the scientist here, but thought that was crazy. Polarity, everything is dual, everything has poles, everything has its yeah. pair of opposites. Rhythm, everything flows out and in, everything has all tides, all things rise and fall. Cause and effect, every cause has its effect, every effect has its cause, everything happens according to law. And then the last one is gender. Uh, everything has a masculine or feminine principle. Um, but, you know, if you think about that, these things stand the test of time, I think, right? We talk yeah. about vibrations and how the frequency yeah. and the idea that energy never gets, you, know, you can't get rid of it. It moves from one form to the next. And yeah. I don't know, I find it all quite fascinating. I don't know I mean, what I'm going I, with. I do. It's interesting and that it linked to what you're saying. I, I do. And at the same time, I also think that um, I feel, this is me going a little bit kind of off the reservation, but... Um, all of these ancient cultures know so much about things that we're only kind of really figuring out now in the modern world. And some of that could be from their knowledge, but I still, uh, at some fundamental level, I believe they've been taught this stuff um, by higher evolved beings of some sort, whether that's from you know, an ancient civilization that was way for advanced or one that's come visited Earth. I don't know, but I feel like... Okay, it's weird. an interesting chat now. I like it. Well, I, honestly, I, I, because I, I remember thinking this, um, I, I'm always interested in aliens as, as listeners know after my UFO hunting stuff. And I'm, I'm kind yeah, of yeah. sort of semi following the, um, the hearings that are going on in Congress at the moment with all these, um, government whistleblowers talking about the alien craft that the US government and other governments have got. But I remember years ago, 20 odd years ago, traveling around the world and I would go to like Cambodia or I would go to, um, Mexico and I would see all these temples and buildings and, and I would, marvel at how very similar things were set up how how the designs were very similar and how the orientation of things were similar and i was thinking how would they how do they know that all for them all to do it in a very similar way and and then when you say things like you've just been talking about or when i look into ancient hindu culture or you know all of this and i'm like there's something there that i feel like did they learn this stuff and just speculate it? Which they could have done, right? They could, they be could have done that. They could have been looking at the waves, right? And I get a lot of teaching from nature, right? You look at the waves, everything rises, everything falls, right? Seasons come, they go, right? So that you can get all of that from nature, a lot of it. But then I also think, I don't know. I think that some, somewhere down in our history, and this is just a belief that we have been passed knowledge by advanced civilizations or cultures, whether it's from this earth or another place. And that has been their teaching. And then somewhere along the line, in the last 2,000 years, we've lost our way a little bit. And, um, yeah, maybe we'll find well, a way back. Well, I can take it to a whole new... I mean, you think aliens is a bit random, so we might be losing our listeners now. We were going to talk about your... Um, you getting ready for your eulogy and the emotions of that. That links on for what we were talking about last time, right? But we're, going, we're segueing into this whole different world. But I, I, could, I, I discovered... Actually, my wife discovered this, and I've been fascinated by it because i've been talking about vibrations being in everything and um i have an idea that um, i won't share now because it's something that i'm writing about but this supported part of my theory right but um she was watching i think it was something with um uh, sandy tosvig was doing a, a documentary i think with eddie izzard and she was talking about walls having voices mm. and um she said oh if you if you apparently if you listen to this wall it's been here for so many centuries and years you can it's been said that they talk the wall talks to you and um, she said on there, it's called something called, I don't know if you've heard of this, stone tape theory. You heard of that? No, I don't think so. 
I hadn't. It's fascinating. I, I, I recommend you Google it. If you're interested in the paranormal or if you believe in ghosts and ghoulies and spirits, this is for you. So the idea being that the reason that graveyards, the reason that asylums, the reason that these spooky, often spooky places are scary, the theory behind this is that the, the walls, the rocks of the earth, particularly within stone, hence stone tape theory, they hold the vibrations of the voices they hear. So when you're in places where there has been particular you know, death and he's got a graveyard, the gravestones being one, uh, asylums being stone buildings or whatever. They, they have the trapped voices that were heard mm. within the asylum. Still, the energy of those voices is still maintained within the walls. So they're not saying that actually necessarily that spirits are out there roaming, but the voices of the spirits yeah. potentially are still being, are still captured within the rocks. And you get all those, you get those weird uh, uh, ghost kits of, you know, put out with electric frequencies and stuff. Yeah. When you use these pieces, and if you go down the rabbit hole of, of researching this stuff, well, I don't know how much it can be real or not, but anyway, it's interesting research. When you put these machines by these rocks where there have been significant issues, it's not just buildings. It can be cliff faces. It can be whatever, where oh, you know yeah. traumatic things have happened and people have maybe passed or had screens or whatever. The frequencies always seem to go up. Yeah. And the idea theory is that it's trapped inside the walls oh. of the rock. Like I say, frequencies everywhere, and I think that I'm sure there's a movie where where they kind of like like almost like a minority report type movie where they can like kind of like track that sort of stuff. But I don't think it's so unusual. Think about um, uh, an LP, right? Uh, like a record, right? We're 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 effectively trapping the voice in a physical object, right? And we're using a tool to then pull that voice back out. So I, I don't think it's much of a stretch to think that you know I think there's an imprint. Everything. Um, is energy, frequency, and vibration. Everything interacts with one another, and maybe there's a way that 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 imprint, just like um, a fingerprint, right? If you put a thing, like for example, a fingerprint on a desk, right? You can't see it, but no. then we've got this technology now that can see that fingerprint. So just because maybe modern technology can't pull these vibrational sound frequencies off, it doesn't necessarily mean that maybe in the future that 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 is not a valid theory. So I'm, well, I'm open to that. Um, I'll read you a little bit about from, from my research. So, uh, uh, archaeologist, um, you know, and, 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 you know, doctor of archaeology and power, what is, it, what is it, power, what they call it, power um, psychologist, power uh, psychologist, uh, says that, um, there is an ether and vibration around certain objects and structures that causes memory transference of the past to human beings sensitive to those vibrations. Moist rocks seem to be the best conductors of this old energy. And mm -hmm. these theories, such as dank old abandoned buildings, as well as forests and rivers, but the conditions under which such a stone tape may replay and how much it records or choose to play back is still a mystery. It says that, um, uh, let me get back a little bit. Um, mm -mm -mm. That means as you walk down your hallway tonight, your presence may be imprinted, a bit like your fingerprint, on the home and be, and be felt by someone far in the future walking down that same hallway, the very walls recalling a permanent trace of your existence. So who's to say... Harry, 20, yeah. 30, 40, 50 years well, from now, they'll hear our conversation all over again. I can believe that. Like, why, why do you think I've got a post of good vibes only on my, on my, on my wall, right? Because good I want vibrations, that, yeah. Yeah, I want the good vibes, right? I, got, I want the good vibrations in, in the house. And, you know, I actually think there's a lot, a lot to be said for that. And actually, I'm not surprised when you talk about um, walls that are holding moisture because in my degree, I did a physics and astrophysics degree, and I did an elective module once, which was, a, I think, the history of science. Um, it was actually really interesting. But it was talking about um, the memory of water. And it was, I think it was a French scientist who kind of discovered water holds a memory, but then he was later being discredited or this and the other. And so, so the popular theory is no, right? Uh, yeah, water doesn't hold a memory. I actually don't necessarily believe that. I believe that we'll find in the future that we, I guess like you could argue home, homeopathy is a bit like that if it, if it indeed works. I don't know whether it works necessarily. Um, it, there's a bit of conflicting data one way or the other. Um, but let's say it does maybe because there's not enough of a particle in there. It's like having a, a single drop in the ocean a lot of the time, but maybe there's a, a, a memory imprint on that water that will allow us maybe one day instead of like our little USBs that we have, we'll have like yeah. our memory stored, stored on water. And I, I don't think that that's a massive stretch because water is quite an interact. Do you know Dr. Emoto? We're going down a massive rabbit hole now, but we are. I think, I'm quite enjoying it though. I really I'm recommend. Go on, you go. I really recommend watching What the Bleep Do We Know? Have you watched uh, What the Bleep? I do haven't. We... I don't know it. No, no. I, oh, please watch that before next time. 
Um, is this a movie or a documentary? It's, it's a, a kind of a documentary. Yeah, it's about <laughs> yeah, 20 years old, but it's really good. I think you'll find it's interesting. I think you're probably at the stage now that watching it, it might resonate more than it did five years ago. Um, but there's a doctor called Dr. Motu, and he's done lots in, lots of um, experiments with water and water crystals. Um, I'm not sure how he forms the crystals. I think maybe like freezing them and looking up them under like a special microscope. But he he showed that like when you projected like things like love and fear and hate into these things, like whether it was a water bottle or whatever, um, and even if you labelled it with hate and people project that energy, the the crystals became like really dirty and manky and discombobulated. But then when you put ones which were love and gratitude and put oh, crystals, I can fully like, really believe that they've been proven, haven't they? I mean, it talks about it in the book Letting Go, which I talk about a lot about the fact that the frequency of love is a different frequency to anger. They've tested yeah. that stuff. You know, in in yeah. science, over again. It's everything has got a frequency. frequency. Yeah, yeah. Water's got a frequency. Everything. This is what I'm saying. Nikola Tesla, who I think some some people say because he could design things in his head without writing them down, and some people say he was in in cahoots with like other beings that were able to like transmit stuff. And when he talks about energy, frequency, and vibration, I've thought about this all the time. And in fact, you know, I talk about this in my book because I say, you know, the one equation that everyone knows from physics is E equals mc squared which basically is saying that energy equals the mass of something times the speed of light squared. So basically energy is mass, right? Everything ultimately is energy. So in order to really understand what's going on, you have to think in terms of energy, right? And energy and frequency vibration are basically intertwined with the same thing. And so there's a lot to be said for that. And that's why I think about problems a lot of time coming from that point of view, whether it's an interaction with someone, whether it was, you know, during like COVID, I was thinking, I'm sure there's a frequency to the COVID virus particle, right? There must be a way to like negate that frequency somehow. And maybe we can play music, like special tunes all around the world. It would stop everyone's viruses. This is my crazy thought, but maybe in a hundred years time, that's what will be happening. Because I think like the future of modern medicine will be on things like sound well, healing, light healing. I would say it argued from, it worked for my dad over the weekend. I'm not saying it's cured his cancer, right? But I will say that um the music the people the energy of the room absolutely mm. raised his spirits to almost took all of his you know i'm speaking on his behalf here but all of his symptoms away in that in, mm. you know for the best part of 48 hours he, he was like a different person he was back to his old self he was jo- joking mm. laughing and he was more mobile you know he couldn't walk from one room to, to the next and yet here he is you know walking much further i'm not saying he's you know suddenly kicked the crutches off and he's you know he's doing the moonwalk or whatever but he's you know, he was he was way mobile. And stayed up several hours later, and yeah, it was it was it was it was it. Was, I would argue it was a transformation and a very positive yeah. one. I mean, there's positive vibrations so that we don't know, and that's the thing. Is like I think it was you know was it Socrates or someone like that said that like, you know the more I know, the more I realize I don't know, and I, I felt like that maybe eight nine years ago as I started about 12 years ago I started down this rabbit hole as as you know me now in terms of you know the coaching the mindset all of that. And then you get to a point where you're like, man, I know so much more than I did say six months ago. So what the hell have I still got to know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, and then you realize you're never going to know everything, although that's, that's kind of my ultimate aim in a way. Um, but you realize that there's so much you don't know. So then I come to things like where you talk about the walls having ears with like an open mind, right? I don't know it to be true, but I certainly don't know it to be a hundred percent categorically no. false, but I do sometimes interact with some people where they're like no well that can't be right oh, and I, yeah, I, I was like you know how can you be so certain like like just having an open mind does not mean you're gullible it just means that you're you know open to knowing that you don't know everything right you know so this is interesting right? I'm, I'm jumping into something here but i, I know I, I quote this book a lot but it's it's been it had a transformative um impact on me it was back to, to david hawkins here letting go mm-hmm. but he talks about um, the ability to let go, the ability to create new ideas and different things. I've got in front he, of me, by the way. There you go. He ranks everyone into a scale. Now, I haven't really bought into the scale because I just, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> just, yeah. I'd rather move on to the next book and take the theories and rather. Yeah. He puts everything on a scale. But he, he talks about whether it's possible to move through the process of letting go to surrendering how you feel. It's easier for some than others. And it's much harder for those that have a closed mindset. And he scales everyone. So he says here, like, uh, I've, I've literally just opened this now, so it's probably not exactly the right page, but it's a kind of a section that talks about scores. And he says, scepticism, people are basically calibrated at 160. And cynicism, as well as um, atheism, atheism, 
atheism rather calibrate below 200 because they reflect negative prejudgment. In contrast, true inquiry requires an open mind and honesty devoid of intellectual vanity. Negative studies of the testing methodology all calibrate below 200, usually at 160, as mm. do the investigators themselves. Even famous professors can, um, can and do calibrate below 200. And that may seem surprising to the average person, but negative studies are a consequence of negative bias. As an example, Francis Crick's research um, design that led to the discovery of the double helix pattern of DNA calibrated at 440. His last research design, which was intended to prove that consciousness was just a product of neural activity, calibrated at only 135. He was an atheist. Now, yeah. this is some person's judgment. But it's interesting. No, yeah. I'm, I'm not I here. Mean, I, I would love the idea to think that, and I, I'm not necessarily, wouldn't say I was religious particularly in any way, but I wouldn't also wouldn't say it's absolutely not true. Um, I'm open-minded to anything. And the idea that, you know, if my dad passes and your dad sadly has, and we talked about in the last show, that you may be able to hear his voice or his voice may be captured in the walls of your home. Mm. That's a wonderful thing, I think. And why yeah. not hour that in? It's more positive and open-minded to think it could be true than to go absolutely not with no proof that it isn't. Exactly. I mean, um, there's, oh, I'd have to look it up now. Really, There's a really great... Um, passage um i think it's by wayne dyer who was talking about the, the existence of of like heaven and and he uses an analogy it's like uh, some twins are in the womb and and you know it's kind of like time for the birth but they're like one of the twins is saying to the other well you know how do we know what's beyond there right you know like we, it's nice in here and we you know we, we know yeah. what's and here and, and the other twin is like well you know you know mother is is there and right and, and and he's like but we can't see her we haven't and and he's like and the other twin is like but, but we feel her presence all around and uh, it's all over us and it's imbued us and it's given us life and and it's a really great if i can find I it i love I'll, that what it. a great idea it's clever and, it, and you read it and you're like ah and it's a bit like um you know plato's allegory of the cave are you familiar with that as well not or allegory I've of the cave. Yeah, no. So imagine like um, there's there's some um, what are they called like I guess prisoners or slaves and they've been chained their whole life against um, to 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 these chains looking at a wall and there's a fire behind them and and the the fire shows reflections of like the people who are their captors walking behind them or whatever um, but to them they just appear as like these weird kind of like objects apparitions. Like, yeah apparitions on the thing and their mumbly voices and all that then one day like one of the one of the prisoners gets free and he escapes out the cave and then suddenly he sees there's a whole world and there's cities and there's fruits and there's you know plays and there's you know cars and whatever and then he's like oh my god this is a whole world out there and and so he tries to go back to the cave to tell people but he can't get down to where they are so he's there shouting them whatever and to them he just appears as an apparition right on, on the wall and stuff and I, I i often think about that as a you know when some people are have got like i don't know es esp or they've got like ways that they can commune with people and we can't or, or at least me and i and you possibly were not in that space right we're in this three-dimensional space of of reality and i'm just wondering maybe that's the same thing where where we just can't see what they can see yeah, doesn't can't tune in yeah, you just can't tune in. We're not in the right frequency to tune into that um, because you don't you don't know. Because if you're it's a bit like the Truman mod, right? The Truman mod where you're like, that is your reality. You don't know unless you've explored that. But um, and I don't know. I, I think like we all, we, can all we all access different parts of our brain anyway, don't we? As individuals, one of the things that makes us individual. You can be more left brain, more right brain. You can yeah. use levels of of and access different parts of the brain. You know, I, I know there's there's a movie, isn't it? The guy um, takes pill, uh, takes a pill, and suddenly yeah, it's like hundred percent. Yeah, yes. I mean, but there must like, be people I, that can access more or less, and maybe they're the people that can tune in. Well, I, I talk to my students all the time. We play these games in my in my workshops, and one of the games gets them really confused. Um, we could actually play it quickly now and see how how it goes. Right? Simply, I say the number one, then you say two, then I say three. And we keep going one, two, three, one, two, three. So we do that for a bit, just to very quickly to tell the audience how, to, how it works. So one, two, three. One, two, three. All right. Now, instead of saying the number two, you clap. 
right? You have to clap instead of saying number two, okay? One. Okay. Did you clap? I clapped, yeah. Okay. I hear it. I did, no. so I'll do it on thing. Yeah, I clapped. I did clap. Three. One. Three. One. Three. Right, and then we add a click for number three. And then what happens is people get confused, right? They're, they're going, what? And I'm saying that's because when you're doing one, two, three, one, two, three, and you're using the left half of your brain, right? When you're doing the claps and everything else, you're using the creative right hand of your brain. When you're doing both, your brain has to flip from side to side. And I say, when you do activities like this, it builds the, what's called the, um, uh, what's it called? The corpus callosum, which is the bridge between the left and the right hemisphere. And this bridge is not fixed. You can build bridges, just like you can build bridges over the River Thames. Yeah, like more neural and, pathways into that. Yeah, exactly. And this is actually what made Einstein so smart, is that he had a really strong corpus callosum. So he was able to use his left and right brain kind of in a holistic way. Um, just like playing the piano or playing the guitar does the same thing, actually. Um, so you can get smarter effectively. And, and when you think about things in a holistic kind of way, you'll see new possibilities, you'll see new things rather than, okay, I'm just this kind of robotic kind of way, or I'm just this airy, fairy, creative way or whatever. It's about that integration, that holistic uh, view. There's a lot of research coming out there, isn't there, now about brain elasticity, which is probably yeah. linking to that, the idea that I mean, supplements yeah. and exercises can improve the elasticity of the way that we yeah. work. Yeah. I don't think it actually necessarily means literally... Neuroplasticity, I think, right, where it's the, it's the the forming of new neural pathways. I talked about this in my first book, like 10 years ago, like neuroplasticity, where an old dog can learn new tricks is the way that I, I say. Because I was always saying this to my dad, because he was like saying, yeah, I'm too late to learn all this stuff. And I'm like, no, literally science is showing that you can and that you can do, you, there is neurogenesis. There are new brain cells that are born continuously. I was taught at school that when you're 16, they all start to deplete after that. Um, and that's not true, right? That was 25, 30, 25, 30 years ago. Now we know something different. Um, so there's so much that we don't know. And I think like just being open to learning, being open to doing that. And, and, and this is what, I mean, I thought my dad was quite good with this. And I was doing his eulogy today, uh, or preparation of the eulogy. And, I, and I'm talking about him in three different ways, actually. One is, um, one is an, um, like a, I guess a, just like a, in a activities kind of athletic endeavor where I was talking about, you know, playing football with him and playing games and things. The other one was as an engineer, because he was a great engineer and he built my bikes. So he actually, he built my first proper bike, you know, from scratch, from yeah, like literally. He, he told me the story. Yeah. He told, oh, he me, told the story. me the story. Yeah. yeah. And then he built like several other bikes and then he built my basketball and all of that. And then also I'm talking about him as, as a chef because um, he, he actually came to the UK, didn't know how to cook and then, his his sister kind of so kind right. of talked about the last yeah. show yeah yeah so i'm talking about all of those sorts of things but then i'm also saying that his essence and his being extends way beyond that physical form right it's it's in the way that i cook it's in the way that i think about problem solving it's in the way that you know i um uh, I'm hospitable to the people that come around and so that essence that vibration that energy that he has is not it's not limited to the three-dimensional form that a person creates no. it's, it's in your memory it hasn't it's in- hasn't been extinguished has it let's be honest it lives on in you yeah. and it lives on in the people that he's influenced and yeah, exactly. energy yeah. lives on that's, that's the exciting i mean you talked last time about you know, emotionally seeing your dad and actually after he'd passed and realizing yeah. it's the shell the spirit yeah. left the spirit yeah. though lives on and that's where the and i'm sure you'll bring the eulogy to life with that bit but you know yeah, the and as you know, and the listeners know that I experimented with, you know, things like plant medicines and other yeah. other ventures in that way to kind of self-care ventures like breath work and things. Now, I've never personally had a transformative experience with those in terms of like some people will maybe commune with people that they've lost or they'll, you know, have other experiences. I don't know whether I will do those things again in the future. Or not, but I do feel having spoken to lots of people who have had those kind of experiences, or some you know, one of my friends has had a not a near death experience, a literal death experience. She she literally died and was brought back to life. And um, and having read things like you know Proof of Heaven, the, the excellent book which I do recommend uh, reading as well, Proof of Heaven by a neuro a neurosurgeon uh, Evan Alexander. He was a uh, Harvard trained neurosurgeon who didn't believe in any of this afterlife business or anything and then he was in a coma for like three weeks and and his coma was unique to other comas in that 
the part of the brain that normally they you say, oh, that's the bit that's imagining the experience you're having was not active. Um, and he had a very profound experience um, in the afterlife. And so having had all these experiences myself or seeing other people with them close hand, I don't know for sure if there's anything out there or not. But what I do know is that I don't know enough about all that. And so I can't categorize. And I know there's some people out there go, no, you, you're born, you live, you die, you, you, you're dust. And that might be true as well. I don't know. But I can't help but think about that Wayne Dyer thing, which I'm going to have to try and find out somehow. Um, and, and, and while you chat now, maybe I'll have a quick look. But um, because you don't know, right? If you're in the womb, you, you don't know, really. Uh, yeah. So, no, I mean, that's, I think that's not the beauty of it, though, right? Um, I mean, it was Sydney Banks wrote, uh, we are, we are one with no separation except for the illusion we have of our bodies. You know, we think yeah. that the, it's our body that actually is who we are because this is how we look. This is how, you know, this is me. This is my, my hair, my eyes, my mouth, whatever. But actually, we're way more than that. It, it's who the, it's the I am that's important. It's the spirit yeah. that, 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 that it, moves. It's not changing. Or um, doesn't depending on your on, on who you are, right? It yeah. doesn't always have to I be mean, body. There, there is no body inside. I found um, I found this thing. It's called conversation in the womb, a parable of life after delivery. So it says in a well, mother's. I do womb, love a parable anyway. So get you. yeah, in a, in a mother's womb were two babies. One asked the other, "Do you believe in life after delivery?" The other replied, "Why, of course. There has to be something after delivery. Maybe we are here to prepare ourselves for what will be later." Nonsense," said the first. There is no life after delivery. What kind of life would that be? The second said, I don't know, but there will be more light than here. Maybe we will walk with our legs and eat from our mouths. Maybe we will have other senses that we can't understand now. The first replied, "This that is absurd. Walking is impossible. And eating with our mouths? Ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies nutrition and everything we need, but the umbilical cord is so short. Life after delivery is to be logically excluded. The second insisted, well, I think there is something. Maybe it's different than it is here. Maybe we won't need this physical cord anymore. The first replied, nonsense. And moreover, if there is life, then why has no one ever come back from there? Delivery is the end of life. And in the after delivery, there is nothing but darkness and silence and oblivion. It takes us nowhere. Well, I don't know, said the second. But certainly we will meet mother and she will take care of us. The first replied, mother, you actually believe in mother? That's laughable. If mother exists, then where is she now? The second said, she's all around us. We are surrounded by her. We are of her. It is in her that we live. Without her, this world would not and could not exist. Said the first, well, I don't see her. So it's only logical that she doesn't exist. To which the second replied, sometimes when you are in silence and you focus and you really listen, you can perceive her presence and you can hear her loving voice calling down from above. And that was it. I love that. Clever. Yeah. I love it's that. So, so good. Um, yeah. Well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to Sydney Banks because I think this is, this is relevant to what we're talking about now. And uh, I, I love his work anyway. And I can watch his videos. And I have watched them several times over. And I recommend people do the same. Find it on YouTube. He, he, I, I love his work. But he said, um, in every area of life, everyone is capable of seeing from a higher perspective than they do now. You are never stuck. You're simply limited by the level you are seeing from. Limitation is always illusion. Just wait, relax, stay still, wait until the wisdom talks to you. Mm. And that's the people that are closed off. That's fine. That's just the only level they're willing to see it from. Yeah. Um, open-minded. I love that. Okay. Going in my locker. It's so powerful. I mean, like, but yeah, being open to silence. I mean, actually, I was, I've been with my mum the last few days, as you know, and she's, she's here, but she did her first ever yoga class with me yesterday. We did 15 minute meditation and then we did 20 minutes of yoga. Today, we did, um, we just did three minutes of uh, breathing and, um, maybe like a five minute mobility routine. But, um, she, she, she was like talking to my friend yesterday about the yoga. She was like, you know, I need things that are a bit more go getty, like it's too, too slow. And I'm like, that's precisely why you need to do it to like slow and sit with the thing that's uncomfortable for you. And it's in that silence, as, as you were talking about with Sydney Banks and what the parable was talking about is that you get to tune in and, and listen to yourself. And we go back to that meditation that I talked about. But when I started meditating, it was kind of almost like the first time in my life where you're actually sitting with yourself in silence, right? Thinking about your thoughts and trying not to have thoughts and thinking. And then you start to build into that intuition. And then you start to build into that gut feeling that you were talking about before. 
And then you start to experiment with listening to it a little bit more. And I just don't think a lot of people that I personally interact with a lot of the time allow themselves to do that. And well, they're, or they're frightened to listen to their body as well. Yes, they are. You know, we don't want, we're worried about how it, other people may perceive us if we have this weird thought. I mean, if I told all my best mates that I suddenly believe that the, you know, that, that, that I truly believed in stone tape theory as an example that, mm. that exists in walls. I'm not saying I do or I don't, but if I suddenly put my side on the fence of I absolutely do, you know, there are a lot of people that would be embarrassed or would feel worried about talking about that. And therefore yeah. they don't listen to what they feel is talking to them in their body. And they, they, they well, as you suppress it, you push it down and go, no, people yeah. laugh. But then what do you, it's not about anybody else. That's the thing. No. You've got to listen to what you believe and follow your path. Yeah. Many I mean, you were talking about the other day, um, you know, the regrets of the dying, five regrets of the dying. Yeah. And it was about having the courage to live the life that you wanted to live. And I, I often think, you know, I think I mentioned this in the podcast before where I was talking with one of my best mates who had the heart attack and, and asked me for advice and was saying to me, oh, you know, isn't it challenging because you're always going out and eating differently? And I said, look, at the end of the day, you have to decide whether you want to live life by your standards or other people's. And it's the same thing, right? Is do you have the courage to live and be true to who you are and believe in what you believe? Or are you going to succumb because other people have got an expectation about what what you should believe? It's like, oh no, you should believe that there's no life after death and you should believe that only doctors can heal you and you should believe that medication is the only way to solve a, a, a disease and you should believe that you've got to work a nine to five and you know pay a mortgage for 35 years. No, that's what you believe and that's fine. That's you, fine. You can believe yeah. that. I'm not trying to push my beliefs on you necessarily. I'll believe what I want to believe. You believe what you want to believe. And if it helps you, great. And if it hurts you, maybe think about taking a different belief. Well, look, I mean, part of us coming together is what we don't always see the world in the same way. We run different lives, but we, I like to think we push each other to think and to learn and to read and to discover new things. I mean, you're, you're further down your path. You've dedicated yourself longer than I have, but I'd like to think we, we both encourage and, and challenge each other a little bit. So look, we're, we're talking about where you've challenged, well, not challenged me, but I've listened to some advice or I should say my wife listened to some advice. She listened to the show. Oh yes. and, um, I got a gadget for Christmas. My friend, she mm. bought me a weighted blanket to help with my sleep. I mean, I thought I would hate it, like full yeah. transparency. And not because I wasn't very grateful for the gift, because I was, I, I would love, for me, the gift is all about the, the thought behind the gift. She's trying to help my sleep, all these things. I was like, yeah. that's wonderful, loved it. And the idea that she's trying to help me with a, you know, with something I've suffered with for a long time. But I, I, I like to sleep in the cold. And she was like, no, the blanket mm. keeps you cold. And I was like, but it weighs, I mean, it weighs a ton. I mean, it's yeah. heavy. I don't know, I don't know how they get the weight in there, but they do. Yeah. Really, really heavy blanket. She's like, I've got you the best one I could find. It's heavy and whatever. Put it on, mate. It's like a, it's like a night cuddle. It stays yeah, cold. Yeah, that's the, that's the I exactly. absolutely love it. I love that's it. I, I take it with me now. I go back to Harbin's work and it goes in yeah. my hotel. Oh, hey, I took my bag on the train. It weighs I, about I, I took mine to Brighton. I took mine to Brighton oh. with me as well. Cause I was like, you Game know what? changer. Sleep is the most important thing, right? And so, Game changer. you know, I, I'm actually going to buy one for Brighton because I can't keep take to and throwing it, but I, I want a heavy one. Mine's only like nine, they're supposed to be 10% of your body weight. Mine is nine kilos, which is over 10% of my body weight, but I'm going to try and get a 13 kilo one if I can somewhere. Like, you know, I feel like I put my back out trying to pick it up when I find it. It's really board. heavy. It's really, cause yeah. I'm really anyone listening to this who may have been a skeptic, we're talking about open-mindedness and skepticism, right? I, I don't mind admitting I was a skeptic to this for the mere reason that I've got a routine that works. Therefore I change it. So I'll hold my mm. hand up to that. And it has worked relatively well, to be fair. I haven't taken, I'm not, you know, not on medication every day. Yeah. Like that. Um, but I didn't necessarily think it would work because it is so heavy. And it's, it's a weird thing to think it would work, a really heavy blanket. But it does make, does keep you, it doesn't get really hot. It's just like a warm cuddle. I, I don't know how to else to explain it. It's like being cuddled yeah. in the morning going, oh, without yeah. the body heat. <laughs> it's yeah. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, I recommend it. If anyone else is having sleep problems, um, yeah. give it a go. I don't know how expensive it was. It's a Christmas gift, but it was. They, they, uh, they especially they're heavier. They're quite expensive because I'm looking for a super king, and it's it's pretty pricey, which is putting me off. But they're they're tiny. She got me a single because she doesn't want it on her side of the bed. Because she's yeah, like a, oh, she just got you a single. Yeah, I mean, I I want a super. I've got a double, which really for a double bed you need a, a king or a super king, and then for a super king bed you probably need uh, an even bigger one. I'm not sure I could lift a double. I don't. She must have got me the heaviest um, one they do as a single because it weighs a ton and it's a single. I mean, it's so heavy. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm used to it now, um, but 
it's yeah what i do now actually in the winter is i have that that plus i have the duvet on top which actually adds an extra layer of comfort oh yeah sorry i should have clarified i i have that with standard duvets so the same i had exactly the same bedding i had before full duvet all the other stuff with the weighted blanket goes on top you of put the, the blanket duvet. on top of the duvet or underneath the duvet no i put the blanket on top of the duvet yeah yeah, try it underneath as well, maybe. And see I have tried that. both, but I find it ends up all over the place. It's oh, okay. to stay or in place. Yeah, fair enough, yeah. Um, but yeah, they're good. I mean, the ones I have as well, and I recommend to people are with bamboo. And, like, and I recommend bamboo sheets over... I think the one we've got is with bamboo. Yeah, we've got bamboo will keep you cool in the in, in the heat, yeah. but keep you warm in the in the cold. So... Uh, and they use less water. And, and well, look, you mentioned it first, Harry. So credit where it's due. My wife listened to the show. She's invested. Got well, thank you, Lucy. Well done. Well, well done. done. Well done. Well, I'm, she's done I'm a very good job. I'm very excited. And I, I'm I'm surprised as well that you... I'm not surprised that you carry it with you to different places because I did the same thing. And, and Brilliant. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. so good. When you've got things... Well, look, around, I, take it. I know we started the show. Uh, we're going to talk about, and I, I'm conscious of time. Uh, two things you said. Um, you know, how did the poem go with my dad? And, and the I, I, twenty ended up being twenty five verses, and I, I, I picked out two that I'll read out before we finish, just out of interest and to give you a bit of a feel. Um, but also, um, you're obviously trying to write your eulogy at the minute, and there was a bit of feedback, and you know, I wanted to find out how that how that was going because that's we've we've. we've Gone all over the houses. We've managed to you managed to link it. By the way, you managed to link it back to your dad very cleverly. Uh, I don't know how you did that. Um, you managed to bring it back to your dad a moment ago. Um, for the conversations yeah. while we're there, I don't want to to avoid the opportunity to say, you know, how how is that going? And and, and I mean, feeling- it's um, you know, it's still you know tough. I mean, um, I had a couple of friends come over yesterday. One of whom had lost her father and her mother in the space of a few years, and she's still not really over it um but they had a very different relationship i'm still feel very blessed that i have a very strong close relationship with both my parents all my life and and like i said the other day i don't think it's going to really hit me until you know in six months time when i'm doing this and and that and actually but the, doing the eulogy stuff today um you know the first time i read it out loud i did well up second two times i didn't but i still need to read it to another person so, so do what you did with lucy um to see because I was like, oh my, I tried to make it pretty lighthearted, uh, but then it's always that end bit because you're always going to end it on that, you know, whatever, uh, which is fine if, yeah. as long as I, I can hold it together the first few minutes. Um, but I want to, my sisters are both writing their pieces today. And so maybe we'll try and get together on the Wednesday and, and run through it because I think, I think it might help to, to, to do it and have those tears with them so that when I deliver yeah. it, in the in the real thing it's a bit easier but it was yeah it's it's a hard thing to write but actually thinking about it for the audience and i remember i've done lots of personal development events and and in some of them they do ask you to write your own eulogy and and it's a really both powerful but also quite morbid activity to do like you know what would you have in your gravestone what would you have uh, as your eulogy because when you think about the end of your life which most of us don't want to do it will reflect on how you currently live your life. Are you living the life now that will ultimately end with that kind of eulogy? And like for my dad, all the things that people have been saying, and we've been putting together a condolence book and everything that was on Facebook yeah. and what's your messages in there, by the way, as well. And, nice. and, and it's like everything is pretty similar in saying he was warm and he was generous and he's cooking. And, and it's like, so he's been remembered in such a fun way, right? So I think like an, an interesting activity is to write your own eulogy and say, if this is what you want people to say about you at the end of your life, how much are you living in accordance with that now? Because it gets us to think about it in a very different way. Um, so eulogies are tough, but I think they can be quite cathartic and quite um, a revelation for people. Um well- I think um, it, it links to, or it links to the five regrets of the dying, which we said um, last mm. time. But there are some questions for people to think about, and maybe we can do this on a future episode. Um, I've done it with some coaching clients, and it's it's actually links to purpose. So maybe we should do an episode on how to find purpose because I think mm. so. yeah. Very quickly, without going into too much detail, one of them is: what would you do if you had all the approval in the world? And a reverse question would be, what would you immediately stop doing had all the approval in the world? Now, that will resonate with some and won't with others. But for those that have lived their lives because they're trying to seek the approval of their parents, subconsciously or consciously, you know, that will have an impact. And what would you do if you had all the money in the world? Or, or what? Which is one question, which we, may be quite a popular one to ask. But another one is, what would you immediately stop doing? Yeah. Um, you know, 
what I really like is what would you do if you knew that whatever ever you did, you consistently failed? So you failed and failed. You, you could not be a success. So therefore, you do it for the enjoyment, not for the idea of succeeding. What would you do? Uh, and what would you immediately stop doing? I, I, I think sometimes you often ask the question of our friends, just in conversation, what would you do if? We rarely ask the question, what would you stop doing mm. if? Um, and I think the approval one's an interesting one. The idea, if you always failed, what would you do? And it takes money out of the equation. Um, I think if you if you can answer those questions fully, I think you you get to a point of authenticity quite quickly and it will help you decide what your purpose might be. Uh, we can go into more details. There's seven, that's probably 10 questions I would ask. There's sort of three of them off the top of the bat, but mm-hmm. um, it's quite an interesting exercise. And I think it links quite closely to what you were saying there. You know, and we talked about in the past, you know, what ghosts would come and visit you if you're mm-hmm. on your bed, bed right now and all the regrets of things you haven't done, what would they be? You know, the book you never wrote, the song you never, the person you never called back, the, the person you never said sorry to. So have a think about those things because there's an opportunity to correct those things now, right? Make sure no one visits you. Um, and then you go, hopefully, when that time comes, you can go happy and, and even yeah. more easily if there is such a thing. Yeah, if there is such a thing. I mean, yeah. Because I mean, you said I, last time, you think your dad probably achieved most of the things he wanted to achieve? Yeah, right? no, he That's did. And, and I remember, you know, because I, the last few months, you know, I I would have these conversations with him, not specifically about death and stuff, but, you know, because sometimes I got to the last six months where I stopped kind of, badgering him to like to try and do this or yeah. buy this gadget or whatever because I was like look I don't know how long he's got left I want him just to live his life and he and he would always say oh just let me live my life right um and actually my friend came around um yesterday and he wrote a little note for me and I couldn't figure it out at the beginning and years ago when I when I launched the book working well I had a book launch in London and I think what I did is I got people to write their name badges but then also like something else like you know what's the goal you want to achieve that year or something or other and my mate was like i never forget because your dad wrote leave me be <laughs> and he was just like leave me be leave me be harry and and, and so and he, he remembered that but so i i left him be the last few months and but we did he goes look if i die tomorrow i'm gonna die happy right i'm gonna you know i've done everything i've you know I had a wonderful career wonderful life um wonderful children grandchildren you know, let me be, right? I'm not going to keep, keep, keep saying, right? I'm not Superman. I'm not, I know you always want everyone to be superhuman and Superman and all yeah, that. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously your, your, your father is your, your first, usually your first superhero anyway, your first, you know, superhuman. Um, but I just got to accept that. And I was like, look, he's happy with his life. So let me be happy for him, right? Why should he live up to my expectations of what I feel he should be at, at 80 years old? He should be. You know, that's doing, that word should again that you raised earlier, right? Exactly. He, he, should, he shouldn't be doing any of that. He should be whoever he wants to be. And, um, you know, I go back to Bruce Lee, right? You know, uh, you haven't been put onto this earth to live up to my expectations. I haven't been put on this earth to live up to yours. And I think when I came to accept that a little bit more, you know, you know, I, it's not like I stopped trying or stopped loving him. I would still nudge him in places, but I wouldn't be as overt with it. And, mm. And also, it gives me some comfort knowing that he he's not dying with regrets. He didn't die with regrets about his life, um, I don't think, at all. Um, so that gives me comfort. He didn't die alone. That gives me comfort. He had a wonderful long marriage. That gives me comfort. He knew he was loved. That gave me comfort. Um, and we were watching, actually, his speech at his 80th birthday party, which we did a couple of months ago. And... I knew something was like, like I even think about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna break down in a second because his voice cracked and he was like, you know, I just wish you know this we could do this again and all that. And it was so sad and he it's like he knew like that this would be the last time we would be together or this would be his last birthday or something. Mm. And you know, it's heartbreaking. Like I I burst into tears watching him do that, and I was recording and my sister did. Um, but at the same time, I feel there is a level of comfort knowing that. I think he had everything. I, I've spoken to other friends who are like, you know, I don't have a relationship with my father. You know, you have got a great relationship with your father. I had a great relationship. And obviously we have our father-son things that all father-sons have. Oh. But um yeah, so that gives me solace. Yeah, and again, it's about finding the positive in in excruciating, excruciating pain. And that's not to say that I'm trying to avoid the grief. And actually I read the passage you were talking about earlier uh, well, you're talking about last week about grief. Yeah. Last, 
10 minutes, 20 minutes. And I, I found that passage. I was reading that. And I'm going to probably read this book again and, and stuff because I want to make sure that I do allow myself to experience the emotions. Yeah, I think it's important. Through. You know, and I'm, and I said, to, to, I'm actually a little bit worried that I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of pushing them down without wanting to right now. Yeah. But again, I don't know if that's just because I'm still in shock and maybe Probably. the next stage, whatever that will be, is going to come this week, in a month, in two months. Although it does talk about it in there as well. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves about how we should feel. And as yeah. the word should, right? Yeah. We think we should, you know, people, some, some people have had, I've gone with years and years and years of regret and guilt for not crying at a funeral or for, mm. not, for not, not, not breaking down when they feel like that's what they should have done. I mean, who's to say what anyone should do? We yeah. react in the moment. It doesn't mean you love anyone any less because you haven't broken down at a particular event or particular speech or whatever. Why right? we just all process and deal with things differently. Mm. Um, I think the danger is, is holding the guilt and regret and the shame or whatever else you might feel for thinking that you and as that word, word again should be feeling anything else yeah. like just just be be it be a one with how you are and, and whatever needs to come up will come up but don't yeah. try, don't don't deliberately try and push it down or don't try and force it mm. um so yeah well look I, i'll be thinking of you this week because the funeral is is is, is coming up yeah very yeah, quickly but uh, it's, sort of it's gonna be you know it's gonna be a sad event but at the same time you know, I feel very blessed. I've got like friends. I've got my, my friend Ben coming up from Devon. I've got my mate Trev coming. I've got a bunch. There's going to be quite a few of my friends there, quite a few each of my sister's friends there. Um, not just to support us, obviously primarily to support us, but also they, they all knew him, uh, to some degree. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that feels nice. And, and some of us won't have seen each other or been all in the same room together in a decade. And obviously it's sad that, that it, a funeral is what brings, you know, you get to that age, it's like weddings and then it's funerals. It is. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which is, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't funny. celebrate all being together, right? And yeah. I've got, I'll, I quoted the Queen last time and I think it was, it was the, I'm pretty sure it was the Queen who said, um, uh, grief is the price we pay for love. And yeah, I, yeah. And I, I, I think it's a, it's a fair, fair exchange. Um, but I think one thing that hopefully my friends will contemplate as we go through the days is, is one thing I've noticed, and, I've, and we've talked about many times on the show before about my social part, my, my bucket yeah. not being as full as it could be, is, you know, people get on busy, right? You've got two kids, you live far away, other people live far away. But I do feel like, you know, that, that social connection, in addition to having that family connection, is so important. So hopefully, if nothing else, this will bring me closer with my friends and hopefully we spend a bit more time with each other over the coming years um, on account of it all. Yeah. Well, um, I'll tell you what, we'll finish here. Though, I said I'd, I'd, uh, I'd read a couple of bits out. So I'll be a concept. So I did end up doing a 25 uh, verse poem, so I won't read the whole thing. And it's kind of a bit long. I put two bits out. So I've just talked about how they've moved into their, their house uh, and that's where we are. I've gone through chronologically and I've linked it to the vowels. So very quickly, I said, um, if you know my parents, uh, immediately greeted by mum, who will always thrust a wine glass into your hand. If you've been to visit, trust me, you'll all understand. You see, mum loves her wine. It's her one cherished delight, especially shared with my dad in the soft evening light. Dad continues to fight bravely against prostate cancer's embrace. Fuck cancer, I say, but it can never erase the love they both have in sickness and in health. And this will link to what you just mentioned, Harry, because it's in the giving and being with others where we truly find wealth. Mm, that yeah. links hopefully that was something you can uh, you can think yeah. about when you're and also it's interesting that both you and Lucy share the same evening wine ritual in the evenings we do it's a ritual it's a ritual absolutely um, yeah. no regrets <laughs> for that I know it's not great for my fitness endeavours but actually it's great for other things right yeah, it's exactly. our chance well, this thing, my dad went so far without doing fitness and things because he loved life he loved entertaining he loved his whiskey he loved his wine he loved enjoying that stuff so you know, uh, there are plenty of centenarians that I've seen being interviewed and they're, they're enjoying the wine. It's, the main thing is for long life is to enjoy it. Because if you enjoy it, you're going to want to stick with it. And so what, what brings you enjoyment? It might be your kids. It might be your wine. It might be your fitness. It might, you enjoy it and you don't hold on to too much stress and regret and anger and you know, animosity to people. You're probably going to do all right. Jake, Jake Humphreys, um, I know we're, we're going to... Well, it's a time, but Jake Humphreys, who does the high performance podcast, a show that I like. I don't listen to all of them because you know you kind of pick your guests, but he's just released a new book. And I haven't read the book, but he was talking about it on on the radio. And the the radio host, I can't think it was, says to him, So, you know, what what is 
high performance with all the people you've interviewed at four or five hundred people now on your show you've written a book what what is high performance and he said in one word happiness mm. it's not about money it's not about winning it's not about medals it's about finding happiness yeah and uh, a lot of people never get there a lot of people are working to get there it's but ultimately that's that's how he values it it's his opinion but happiness is where he sees high performance, true performance. Mm. Well, the beautiful thing is that you don't need to look for it. Happiness, like you said, is an inside job. It's within our world. It's an inside life. job. Yeah, you have to right. look inwards, not outwards for your happiness. And and when you realise that and you start to do that, you'll realise, it's a bit like The Alchemist, right? You know the book The Alchemist, I'm sure you've read it. It goes in the yeah. gym realises actually it's, it's, it's right where he was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. it. <laughs> oh, good place to finish. Listen, um, I'll be sending you all my love and support, mate, for this week to you Thank and you. your family. If all goes well. Um, for those that are listening now, I know they haven't heard the last episode yet because um, I actually it goes out tomorrow. So the one we we recorded about uh, your news uh, goes live tomorrow morning. Uh, this is the follow up episode, but um, yeah, keep sending us your thoughts, your feedback. Uh, there's links in the show notes. If you're interested in Harry's book, uh, please do get a copy and support. That'd be wonderful. Um, and follow us on Instagram. Thank you, Vicky, yeah. for mounting our channel, and we look forward to being the next episode real soon. Harry, best wishes, my friend. Thank you, Nick, and goodbye, everybody else. Thank you for tuning in to the Mindful Past podcast with Nick Day and Harry Kalimnios. We hope you found our discussion insightful and gained valuable takeaways to support you on your journey. Please, please, please do leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform and share an episode that's resonated with you with a friend or a family member who you think may also find it valuable. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to ensure you never miss a future episode. In the meantime, we'll continue exploring mindful path topics to provide you with more insights and ideas to support your personal growth. For now, thank you for your support and we look forward to bringing you the next episode of the Mindful Path Podcast real soon.